This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words of wisdom. May you apply it in our hearts and mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 is the opening text. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Now we learned today that we were created to be loved, right? And to love. Our heart longs for this and craves for it. But this love and worth we crave for was meant to be filled by God and also by a parent to stand in the place of God, right? Until we have that conscious choice to choose God. But the problem happens when we don't receive this love and acceptance and value from our parents and God and thus seek to get it some other way, such as comparing ourselves with others or criticizing other people. And this is the main reason why we become judgmental and critical of others. So I met a young lady who was going through a divorce and she suffered from a depression, low self-worth, low self-respect, and she said her husband always compared her and judged her and very critical. And not only that, but her in-laws, they were always putting her down. And she always felt that she was never good enough. And because of that, that drove her to um, depression and deep sadness. And whenever this happens, then people's spirits are crushed. So let's look at the story of Jesus and how he actually dealt with this. Look at who did Jesus tell this story to? So he told a parable. Look at Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And let's look at it and what God can share with us this, this afternoon. The Bible says, so who did Jesus tell this story to? The Bible says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were what? Righteous and what? Despised others. So here's a people who thought that they were righteous. But who is the only one that's truly righteous? Jesus Christ, right? So in other words, they had a self-righteousness about them. And the thing happens when you do that, people who have a self-righteousness or they have the righteousness of themselves, they don't need the righteousness of Jesus. When you have your own righteousness, you don't feel you need Jesus, right? Because you have everything within yourself. So they're self-righteous and they're critical. They look down upon other people. And then... The Bible says here, who went to church to pray that day? Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Notice the story. It goes on here in the story. It says here, two men went up into the temple to pray. So two different people. And I, I like to make it modern. So two people went to church to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a publican. So the Pharisee. Now what is a Pharisee? Pharisee was what? Okay, a religious leader, right? So this Pharisee, so here you have one, a church leader who's going to church. And not only a church leader, but a Pharisee was one who actually kept the law, right? He tied, right? He did all these good things. So it was very a righteous church leader. He went to church. He went inside there. And that, that was one of them. And then the second person that actually went to church was actually someone who was a publican. Now, what do you know about the publicans? What were they? They were what? Okay, tax collectors, right? Now, these tax collectors, now, first of all, you have to look at the occupying government. What was the government at that time? 
Uh, who's ruling over the Jewish nation at that time? It was what nation? What empire? It was a Roman Empire, right? So do you think that, first of all, that the Jews liked being occupied by the Roman Empire? Okay, what about a rep- No, so what about the representative of that nation collecting and taking money from you? What do you think about that? So you think that they like these people? Okay, on top of that, what about people like Zacchaeus, right? Who actually had to repent. Why? Because he had stolen all the money from the Jews and not only given to the occupying government, but he had kept the money for himself. Kind of like a modern-day IRS agent who threatened you and bribed you. If you don't give me a certain amount of money, I'm going to turn you and throw you into jail. And you pay the bribe, right? So he was, and it's even worse than that. So this guy was a sinner, right? He was the worst of all sinners, he embezzled, kind of like the corrupt corporate banker who, got, who was too big to fail and had gotten bailed out with your tax money. So here you have two men coming to church. One was a religious leader and one was a sinner. And from the outside, you look at these two people. One was a religious, you know, very uh, committed Christian. On the outside, it looked as if the sinner was the one who needed the prayers of the religious leader. But I want you to notice how this story turns and it doesn't go that way. So what happened next? How did the Pharisee pray? Luke chapter 18, verse 11. Notice the Bible says. The Bible says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you. He's thanking God, right? Notice what it says here. God, I thank you that I am not as other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as that publican in the back of the church. God, you ever thank God like that? God, I'm so, I'm so grateful that I'm not like all these other people, these, you know, these adulterers, these, these wicked people, or even that, that great sinner, this great sinner in the back of the church. God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like them. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And look at your handout. It says a Christ's object lesson. There is nothing so offensive to God or so dangerous to the human soul as pride and self-sufficiency. Of all sins, it is the most hopeless, the most incurable. In other words, of all sins there is out there, pride is the worst sin that you could ever have. Now, what is this what is this Pharisee doing? What is this Pharisee doing with himself and the other person? What is he doing? He's what? Comparing himself, right? And what does the Bible say about comparing ourselves with other people? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12, right? It says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not... Wise. The opposite of wise is what? Foolish. So he's comparing himself with that sinner. So this religious leader goes to church and is comparing himself with this sinner way over there. Now my next question is this. Why do you think that this church leader was comparing himself with that sinner who was in church? Or let me ask you the question. Why do you think he was comparing himself? To do what? Why did he compare himself with the other person? Okay, so he wanted to what? 
feel better about himself. So how does he make himself feel better about himself? Okay, that's right. So he actually puts down right the other person, right? And that's, this is the root cause of why people are judgmental and why people criticize people is so that they can put the other person down for the sole purpose to make themselves feel better about themselves because they have a low self-worth. If that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen? The reason why the husband always criticizes his wife because the root cause, not just dealing okay with conflict management, which is good tips and tricks and you know, principles, but dealing with the root cause here, the reason why you criticize, the reason why parents are you know, judgmental, why can't you do this to the children, the reason why the root cause is because these people have a low self-worth. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? So he's doing this, he's comparing himself with um, this, this other person to make himself feel better. And that's what's happening here in this story. My next question is this. So this Pharisee is judgmental and criti critical and thus is an abuser. And in this case, a spiritual abuser in the church. You ever met anyone like this in a church? <laughs> Do you think this could ever happen in our church today? Do you ever think this could happen in your church today? People comparing themselves with other people? How many ever seen this happen before in the church? How about people putting other people down and looking down upon other people in the church? The sad thing that happens when people do this is that not only is their relationship with Christ hindered, but their relationship with others is also destroyed. Now we can, here's the thing, we can become like this Pharisee, right? And we can also pray the prayer or actually say it in our own heart. And we, say, we can say, God, I thank you that I am not like this Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, right? And be so deceived in self-deception and believe that, oh, thank Do you think it's possible that we could believe that we are not like this Pharisee, but in fact, like Laodicea, we are just like him, critical and judgmental? Do you think it's possible that we could be self-deceived just like the message of Laodicea said we would be self-deceived? Do you think that everything is good? But do we often, when we really think about it, and our words that we say, at times, are we critical of other people just to put them down? Are we judgmental of other people at our workplace or in our schools or our friends or our classmates, our roommates, or even in our home and our churches? So the root cause was he's looking to do that. But it didn't stop there. Look, what else did the Pharisee do? Okay, that was, that was half of the story. But notice what else the Pharisee does. Luke chapter 18, verse 12. Notice what it says here. So he put down the other person. Then it says here in verse 12, I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I would possess. So now what is he doing now? Okay, he's bragging. He's boasting. So the first step was here. He's critical. He's judgmental. He's putting the other person down. To put him down, he's actually feeling good about himself to raise because he has a low self-worth. So he has to put someone down to compare himself with so he makes himself feel better. And that's why people, you know, they like to put other people down and criticize them, and that's why there's a lot of drama, right? Because that's what they want to do. But that's, he didn't stop there. 
So in this Bible story that Jesus told, what did he do next? He what? Put himself up. So he actually not only put someone down, but he stopped boasting and bragging. And that is the reason why people boast and brag about themselves, because they, they again have a low self-worth, a low self-respect, and they're boasting and bragging. How many of you know people who actually like to boast and brag out there? You don't have to raise your hands, but think about it. And so you're putting people down. And, and so guess how good this Pharisee must feel now that he puts down other people and he boasts himself up. And now as doubly as high as he was before he talked about how good he really was. Now, this Pharisee's self-worth was purely based upon his performance and how well he compared to other people. And that's why people like to use upon based their self-worth based upon the performance. I can sing better than the other person, right? I'm more spiritual than the other person. See, we can even be in a church and we can look like it's good and talk about, well, I'm more spiritual. I pray more than the other person. I have longer devotion than that person. I read my Bible more. I have a better understanding of the Word of God better than the other person. We can use religion as a disguise to build up our false self-worth. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? And it's a deception. It's a huge deception. And God wants us to break us out of that deception. Now, my question has always been this. How did this Pharisee get into this condition? Is that a good question? So let's humanize this Pharisee. Let's make, in other words, let's make him human. So look at your handout, and I'm going to read your quotation. And I think this will help open it up. So do you think that this Pharisee was hard-hearted? Yes, okay. So let's see, what made this Pharisee, this church leader, so hard-hearted? Notice what it says here in, verse, in um, Testimonies, Volume 3, page 539. Notice what it says here. The reason why there are so the reason there are so many hard-hearted men and women here's the root cause in our world is that true affection has been regarded as weakness and has been discouraged and repressed. And notice what it says next: the better part of the nature of persons of this class, the hard-hearted people, was perverted and dwarfed in what? childhood. So I want to humanize this Pharisee. So as we look at this Pharisee, we need to realize that something happened. According to this quote, something must have happened to this Pharisee in his childhood that made him so hard-hearted as we're currently seeing him in his text. You see, we, you know, when you understand that everything that someone does, how mean or cruel it is, has all to do has something to happen in his past. And according to this quote, the reason why people are hard-hearted and they don't smile and there's no peace and there's no joy, because something must have happened, especially here, something they were perverted and dwarfed in childhood. Something had happened in their childhood where they're so hurt and so wounded, they become hardened in their heart toward people and they didn't care how to treat people. So this Pharisee, I look at something must have happened to this Pharisee as he's growing up made him feel so worthless. Somehow when he was young, he must have been compared with others and felt like he was worthless and never good enough. He must have been told, you're good for nothing. You ever heard that before? Well, why can't you do anything right? Well, why can't you be like your sister who's going to be a doctor? Well, why don't you go to church like your good brother? 
Somehow he's always compared that he was never good enough, and then because he's never good enough, his self-worth went down. Or maybe he had gone the route where he was abused as a child, physically abused. Feel not worth anything. Maybe he was sexually abused. Maybe emotionally and verbally abused by his parents and put down, whatever it is. Somehow he felt that he wasn't good enough, and because of that, he felt he needed to prove his worth again. And people do that just to prove to others that people are worth something. You get a nicer car so people will notice just to feel better about yourself. You get the latest iPhone or Android to be up to date just to feel better about yourself. You get a bigger home out of your price range just to feel better about yourself. You play sports really well so people will talk good about you just to feel better about yourself. You sing good at parties and at church to get praises just to feel better about yourself. You get active at church so people look highly upon you just to feel better about yourself. You work long hours at your job so people appreciate you, unlike at home, just to feel better about yourself. Can you relate to the Pharisee in this story? Comparing ourselves with others just to feel better about ourselves. I do. Now let's look at the sinner. Luke chapter 18, verse 13. What did a sinner do in church? Luke chapter 18, verse 13. The Bible says here, And the public and the sinner, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, and smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The sinner realized that he was a sinner, and it was this realization that made him truly humble before God, showing his need and dependence upon God. Now, what do people say are the worst sins there are out there? What do people say is the worst sins? Murder? Rape? Right? What else? Homosexuality? But I want you to read this quotation to you in your handout. Notice what it says here. Drug abuse. It says here, God does not regard all sins as of equal magnitude. There are degrees of guilt in his estimation. Notice what it says here. It continues on in the bold print. The drunkard, the drunk, is despised and told that his sin will exclude him from heaven. While pride, selfishness, and covetousness too often go unrebuked. So can you see the sin of drunkenness? Can you see that on the outside when somebody's drunk? You can, right? But can you see the sin of pride in someone's heart? It's hard, right? You can't really judge that. The sin of covetousness, the sin of selfishness. You can't really see and engage it too clearly. But these are sins that are especially offensive to God. He who falls into some of the grossest sins may feel a sense of his shame and poverty and his need of the grace of Christ. But pride feels no need, and so it closes the heart against Christ and the infinite blessings he came to give. Pride, covetousness, and selfishness are considered by God to be the worst of all sins. Now, do you think that this church leader had true repentance? How many of you believe he had true repentance? No? How many of you believe that the sinner had true repentance? Can you hear amen? Amen? 
So how did this sinner get true repentance? That's the question, right? So we're looking, okay, what made this Pharisee the Pharisee? But what made the sinner experience true repentance? So my next question is, what is it that brings true repentance? Does anyone know? Huh? Sorry. Godly sorrow, okay, true, okay, godly sorrow. Okay, acknowledging a true condition. Okay, good. Huh? Okay, very good. So let's go to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Keep your fingers on Luke 18. We've got one more, one more verse. So Romans chapter 2, verse 4. What is it that leads us to repentance, right? Very good. So the Bible says in Romans 2, verse 4, right? Despise it, thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance. Are you despising God's goodness and long-suffering? Don't you know, and not knowing, that the goodness of God leads you to what? Repentance. So this, this public and this sinner, the reason why he was so repentant, because somehow he must have seen the goodness of God. What do you say, amen? We're talking about God's goodness the, the, the last few presentations where that's important to see God's character because Satan's presenting a false character of God in a great controversy. And somehow this, this publican had gotten a good glimpse of God's character and it was so powerful that he saw God's goodness. He was so moved by, by his, the God's goodness that it changed his heart. It brought him to true repentance because God's love and his goodness if you receive it, it will always bring us to a true repentance, not to be repented of. What do you say? Amen? So we, in other words, if we want to experience true repentance, we want to experience a change of life, we must see the goodness of God like this sinner saw it. Turn to Luke 18, verse 14. Luke chapter 18, verse 14, and we finish up the story. This is the... The text, the last text, it says here, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalted himself shall be abased or humbled, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Now I want you to notice that this sinner's prayer and not the church leader's prayer was answered. I also want you to notice that the sinner and not the church leader that was justified or made righteous or who was saved, in other words, the gay rights homosexual who was repented was saved. Can I hear amen? Amen? While the selfish church board member was lost. The abortion performing physician who was repentant was saved while the prideful elder was lost. The fornicating adulterer who was repentant was saved while the self-righteous church member was lost. Inspiration says in your handout, nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than a soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Savior. What do you say, amen? Do you think we could be looking, do you think we could be attending church, paying our tithe and eating healthy as being righteousness to us? That's all we need to do? Or at the same time neglecting to be humble and broken before God? Do you think that we could be comparing ourselves with others or looking with approval from others just to feel our low self-worth? In our school that we had, there was a young girl. She had this turn, I think 18, and she attended the, our heating for the 10 days 
and she shared me her story. It was a tragic story. She said that when she was a little girl, her little brother had died. She was only like five. And she said that her parents went into a deep depression. And so they began to drink, like we learned this morning, right, for addictions, to numb the pain. And so they drink and drown out the sorrows. And as this was going on, CPS came in. And he took the, all the siblings away and sent them out to different places. And now, not only did she lose her brother, not only did they, they kind of lose her parents through alcohol, and now she's separated from her family and they separated the siblings to different places. And then she said it happened when she was around 11 years old that her mother passed away. And one tragedy after another, and she felt like, you know, Things had gone bad to worse, and she was so hurt and abused and, and wounded by life and what her life had given to her that she was broken. And she said, Pastor, you know, it's the one thing that I've, I really took from this school. And everyone takes a different thing. What, you know, the different, there's a different remedy, a divine remedy for each diagnosis. And so she said, one thing I took from this school that really helped me was that I saw how much I was worth in the eyes of God. And those who have been hurt and those who have been wounded, those who have been put down and those who have been abused who feel like they're worthless and nothing need to see a different picture of who God is. And that picture is, is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. What have we been redeemed with? Notice the Bible says here, 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19. The Bible says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. So you weren't bought to redeem. You weren't bought with money or silver and gold, but with the precious blood of who? Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. No, no, you're precious. You're bought with the price of of God. Now, how much something is worth is based upon how much someone is willing to pay for it, right? So, let me ask you a question. How many think this Bible is worth? How many think, how many people would buy, pay for this Bible? How many would you pay for this Bible? 25? $50. Okay, yeah, it's a nicer Bible. Okay, thank you. $50. Uh, $55, $55, $60? <laughs> so $50, okay? What if I told you and I switched it and I said, this Bible, and my dad has passed away, but what if I told you that my dad is the one that gave me this Bible? Now, how much do you think this Bible is worth to me? How many do you think I would sell it to you for now? $50? How many do you think this Bible is worth to me now? Priceless. So how much something is worth, how much is, is based upon how much someone is willing to pay for it, right? So you may pay $50, but to me, I'll give everything, right, for this Bible. It's, worth, it's invaluable. It's priceless. There's nothing you could do to make me want to give it up for any price. 
So my next question is this. How much is God worth? $50? How much is God worth? Million dollars? Priceless. Is that not true? Invaluable, right? Can you buy God with gold or silver or any amount of money? No. So my next question is this. How much are you worth? How much you're worth is based upon how much you know or believe that someone was willing to buy you with. Is that not true? And I added that word in there, believe. So how much you're worth is based upon how much you believe someone was willing to pay for you. And I guess the next question is this. Was there anyone that was willing to pay anything for you? Yes. And then my next question is this. How, how much did he pay to buy you then? $50? A million dollars? His life. His life. How much you're worth is based upon how much someone is willing to pay for you. In other words, how much you're worth is based upon how much Jesus, because Jesus bought you, you were redeemed, but not with silver and gold, but with the very life of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So how much you're worth is based upon how much Jesus is willing to pay for you. And what did he pay for? He paid his life. In other words, in the eyes of God, you are so valuable. You are worth the price of God. And when he sees you, he sees that you are precious. You are beautiful. You are loved. You are valuable. You are infinite. You are priceless. There cannot be a price. When Satan comes, hey, I'll buy him for a billion dollars. God says, it's worth more than that. It's worth my life. In the eyes of God, you are worth the price of God. And even beyond that, when Jesus was up there on the cross and he was suffering on the cross of Calvary and he was hurting and he was just suffering, my God, my God, and he was tempted by Satan to leave and give it all up and to enjoy the blessings of heaven, he stayed on the cross because he saw that if he didn't stay on the cross, you would be lost. And guess what? On the cross, you know what Jesus did when he stayed on that cross and he didn't leave that cross? What he was saying is that when he was buying you, you were worth more than his life. In other words, in the eyes of God, not only are you worth the price of God, but in the eyes of God, you are worth more than God himself. In the eyes of God. That's how much he's willing to give for you. And so when we struggle with a slow self-worth, a low self-respect, we must look for the love and the value revealed at the cross of Calvary. If you've been hurt, if you've been abused, sexually abused, if you've been physically abused, if you've been emotionally abused, if you've been verbally abused, look at the cross of Calvary and see how much you're really worth. When you begin to become an abuser, because those who've been abused who have not experienced healing always become an abuser. And they themselves are passed on, and sins are passed on to the third and fourth generations, to the next generation. And they themselves treat their children the same way that mommy and daddy treated you. And those spiritual abusers in the church, the reason why they're like that is because they themselves were once spiritually abused too. And they in the church are now the abusers in the church, the patriarchs and the matriarchs controlling the church, telling how things should be run. Because they themselves were abused. And what they really need to see is a clear revelation of how much they're worth to the love of God 
as if you were on the cross. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? And when you see that God will bring healing to your life, in my life, I've always felt that growing up, I wasn't good. I was never good enough. And not that my parents made me feel that way or said things directly to abuse me. Well, my, my brother, I just have to tell you about my family. My brother um, became a doctor, right? <laughs> so, you know, when, when your brother's a doctor, and, um, you know, you're not, they never compared me, but, you know, it's always there. I know how the world kind of worships being a physician. <clears throat> it's kind of like um, people ask them, hey, how's your son doing? Um, um, is he going to church? And they go, oh, no, I'm sorry, not going to church. They go, oh, I'm sorry. And then the mom would say, oh, but he's a doctor. And they go, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> They're so excited. Oh, he's a doctor, right? They're so excited. So I remember my brother's a physician, so I know we're just never good enough whether to say it or not. And then of all things, you know, he has a nerve to um, be hired to teach at Harvard Medical School. So um, how are you going to beat that? You, I mean, you just can't get higher than that, right? So you're never good enough. And I felt like I was just never good enough, so I do things, you know, I play sports, so I can say, wow, he's good, you know, so I can get the, the praise and the appreciation, or, you know, I, I got into um, clubbing and hip-hop dancing, so I can feel like I'm better about myself, right? So I think, wow, he's a good dancer. I mean, just doing things to feel better myself, getting myself worth by people's praises and appreciation, but it never felt, you're never going to be filled, because you're seeking the, your, your worth from other people by putting them down or lifting yourself up, like the Pharisee. True self-work can only come by Jesus Christ. What do you say? Amen? Amen. And then you handle that quotation says here. Notice what it says here. From Youth Instructor, January 25th, 1910, paragraph 7. Jesus has revealed to you your value by the price he has paid for your redemption. What do you say? Amen? You're struggling with your worth, your value. Jesus has proved to you, revealed to your value by what he paid for you on the cross of Calvary. That determines how much you're worth. Not how much your friends say you're worth. I know postmodern mind, the young generation, you're looking at how much your friends appreciate or accept you or reject you. But your worth is not based upon what other young people think about you. Your worth is based upon what Jesus thinks about and what he did for you on the cross. That is your power. That is healing, and that will set you free. I want to be set free. How about you? What do you say? Amen? I never forget the time I went to get, I just started working, and I guess my dad and I were still clashing, and I started passing, I just started passing like one month, and you know, I had no credit, nothing, so I went down to the bank thinking, oh, it's pretty easy, I'm going to go in the bank, I'm just going to get a car, walk out of the car. But I had no established credit, and I guess I had bad credit for my, you know, my loans, my, my credit cards that I went over in college. And so here I am, okay, I'm going to walk out, walk in easy, walk out in five seconds with a car. But they said to me, sorry, you have no established credit. In fact, your credit you know, is not, I mean, we just don't have any record, it's not good. So we needed something to call sign. So I said, hey, okay, I'll call dad. So I called dad, and he came down, and I guess he wasn't happy, he probably was sleeping, and he came down, and he went in there, and the first thing he said to me in front of the loan officer, he said this, in front of everyone to hear in the office, he said, when are you going to come to the point where you can take care of yourself? Not only I was hurt, I was so embarrassed and hurt that I wasn't able to do that, I wasn't never good enough. 
God began to heal that relationship with my dad. There was a time in my, in my life where I hated my dad. We could never get along. We were always fighting. And I couldn't wait to get out of the house. And God began to heal that relationship between me and my dad. And I started to visit him when I was pastoring. I happened to pastor in the same alley as my dad, so it was a blessing. And we kept to spend time together. And God began to heal. And God reconciled our relationship because of what he was doing in my heart and his heart. And I remember my dad saying to me one day, he said to me, as out of appreciation, I believe, for what I was doing in ministry, he said to me, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? I know what he was saying by that. Even the world at the most prestigious job in the world, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but he loses his soul? And that was affirming me in the ministry that God had called me to. And God brought healing to our relationship and reconciliation. And God wants to do that to you too. They believe that. Let me hear you say amen. Amen? amen. Our self-worth. You are so worth so much to God. You are so beautiful to God. God loves you. He will do anything for you. And he already has. Action speaks louder than words. You can talk, people can talk all they want. But to me, the actions of the cross, why he, he proved by his actions what he said in his mouth when God said, I love you. He showed on the cross how much he loves you and how much you're worth. So don't ever doubt your self-worth. And share this message of God's healing love with others. I want to do that. How about you? What do you say? Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.